and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? They seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him. And as they beat him, they also blindfolded him and kept asking, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt in him deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Thanks, Rebecca. Well, I'm Corey. Um, it's, I'm honored and excited and all kinds of emotions to worship with you today on, on Good Friday. And I um, want to say welcome to the crowd from Liberty Fairmount. We're really excited that you're here. Um, I'll be teaching tonight from Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. So if you brought your Bible, um, or if you want to use the one under your chair, feel free to go ahead and turn there. And I asked Rebecca to read the text that she did, in a sense, to set the stage for where we find Jesus, um, starting in verse 32, which is hanging on a cross. Prior to this, as Rebecca just read, we heard that he was betrayed by one of his followers. He was betrayed, mocked, and beaten. And ultimately, he was given over to the people to be crucified while the insurrectionist and murderer Barabbas walked free. And one of the things I've been struck by as I've been meditating over these texts um, is the realness of this event and this day that took place just over 2,000 years ago. You know, the symbol of the cross is very prevalent in our culture. In some ways, it feels kind of hard to escape. You see people with cross necklaces, and we have crosses tattooed on our bodies, and all that is, is good and well. But I do wonder, do we meditate enough on what this cross means and, and what took place on it? Even today, to be honest, I woke up, and I began thinking about all that was ahead of me, um, what meetings I had, everything that I needed to get accomplished. And knowing that I was giving a message tonight, I started rehearsing that in my head. And it wasn't until I was on my way to this building to start my workday that it kind of hit me that I had never stopped and reflected on Good Friday myself. I had been preparing a message and a text to 
hopefully encourage others to look to the cross and meditate on this day. But in the busyness of meetings and a tight schedule, um, I realized that the first two hours of my day were really focused on preaching a message and not myself on worshiping and, and reflecting on the cross. So when I got here, I, I felt like the Lord was saying to um, stop and, and look at the cross. So I did, and then I, I worked my way around the stations of the cross that are behind you here. And if you haven't seen those, I would, I would encourage you to maybe take a look on your way out. But those are basically pictures and images that reflect really well what Rebecca was just reading. Um, and a lot of it is, is very somber and, and gruesome and, and heavy and grim. Yet we call this day that, that Jesus was crucified Good Friday. Now, why, why do we call it Good Friday? Have you ever thought about that? What could, what could possibly be good about this day? And I think one answer that some of you might be saying in your heads right now is that Good Friday is good because we know what Sunday holds. Um, and Stephen's not up here, so I'll spoil his text a little bit uh, for Sunday, but we will be talking about that on Sunday, and you're absolutely right. That is the goodest of the good of reasons why Good Friday is good. Um, but for about 15 minutes tonight, if you will, I, I would ask us all to gaze again at, at the cross and I think we can see, even when Jesus is hanging on the cross, awaiting his death, we can see the goodness of God in an immensely powerful way. Um, so if you're taking notes tonight, I'll be talking specifically about four ways that we see the goodness of God on display. And with that, the first way is that even during his crucifixion, we see that Jesus is eager to forgive. So I'll be reading now, starting in verse 32 through verse 38. <clears throat> Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. So in case, in case it isn't clear what the rulers and the Roman soldiers are doing here, they're taking Jesus' crucifixion as if it wasn't humiliating and, and brutal enough as is, and they're staging it as a comedy. Um, at this point, Jesus would already be wearing a crown of thorns, and then they give him a special plaque above his cross with the inscription, King of the Jews. Listen as well to some of the things that they say to him. If he is the Christ of God, let him save himself, verse 35. And in verse 37, if you are the King of the Jews, again, save yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, there's hardly a worse feeling than being falsely accused. So has anyone ever played the game Mafia? All right. <laughs> Um, and there's some similar games as well. Mafia is definitely a hit um, with RCC, and um, it usually gets broken out on our leaders' retreat. And if you haven't played the game before, um, there's, there's other variations as well. But essentially, the premise is there's some good guys, and there's one or two bad guys. And the good guys win the game by sniffing out the bad guys. And I don't know what it is about me if I just am a suspicious, have a suspicious-looking face or um, <laughs> if I had done something 
in a previous life to make people <laughs> feel this way about me, but without fail, it seems like uh, even when I'm one of the good guys, as soon as the accusations start flying and people are trying to figure out who the mafia is, my name is the first one that gets brought up. And there's something that goes on inside of me when that happens that I, I can't help but jump out of my seat and try to defend my innocence. And I know what you're thinking, that of course makes me look more guilty and that's probably why I'm in this cycle. And that's kind of a silly example and I've never been too deeply offended outside of that game. Um, but I think it, it, when that happens, it does strike a chord that all of us hate being misunderstood. We hate being falsely accused for something. And, and in this text, we see the most heinous false accusation, the most heinous misunderstanding of all time, right? See, Jesus was crucified by the Romans for claiming to be the Son of God and the King of Israel. And he is the Son of God and the King of Israel, so based on what I just told you, I, I don't really know how I would react in that situation. Uh, frankly, I, I don't think my pride would allow me to stay on the cross. I can confidently say that extending forgiveness to my executors would not be at the top of my priority list. Yet that's exactly what we see Jesus do in verse 34 when he pleads with the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And with this, I would say if you think that you are beyond Jesus' forgiveness, you're not. Even on the cross, Jesus was eager to forgive, and, and he was eager to forgive the very people who put him there. I think another application is that for those of us who might struggle to extend forgiveness to others, look to Jesus' example. We see the most perfect and, and purest example of forgiveness there on the cross. Now let's keep reading, uh, picking back up in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In this section, we see the second evidence of God's goodness on Good Friday, and that is that there's no expiration date on grace, and that's a very good thing. In this passage, we get some insight into the two criminals that were first mentioned in the very first word I read, and we see while one criminal joins in with the rulers and the soldiers around him and blaspheming Jesus, there's another criminal, a second criminal, that acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's look closely at what happens here. So we see this second criminal in verse 40, that he fears God. Next verse, we see him acknowledge two things, three things actually. One, his own sin and his due reward, which is death. Then we see him acknowledge Jesus' innocence. And in verse 42, finally, he places his faith in Jesus for entrance into his kingdom. Jesus, in response, says, nope, it's too late. You blew it. Not at all. Verse 43, we see Jesus say, today you will be with me in paradise. I heard a, a Good Friday message um, a few years ago from a church in the D.C. area, and one of the pastors who was speaking um, said this quote, and I, and I think his words sum up well the magnitude of what happened here. Here's a quote. <clears throat> in the morning, this criminal was spurned by men. 
In the evening, he was fellowshipping with angels. In the morning, he was an enemy of Caesar. In the evening, a friend of God. In the morning, he was dying as a criminal. And in the evening, he was a citizen of heaven. In the morning, dying a very terrible death. In the evening, wearing a crown of life. See, for this criminal, there was no expiration date on grace. And he didn't have to improve himself at all to receive that grace. And the same is true for us today. You know, I can picture myself in this criminal's shoes and imagine the voices in my head, you know. It's too late, Jesus. I need to go do more good to make up for the wrong I've done. I need to learn more. I'm not even a member of a church, you know. And the gospel says that's all rubbish. Um, Several hours ago, I, I didn't plan on including this part in my sermon, but I saw um, a video several years ago from a Scottish pastor who speaks with this awesome Scottish accent that I'm not going to try to imitate. Um, but then earlier this morning, someone sent it to me again, and I just thought it was, it was too good not to include. But in this sermon, this pastor kind of plays out a scenario of when this criminal on the cross shows up at heaven, and it, it's comical. He's um, kind of trying to be humorous with it. And he, when he enters, or is about to enter heaven, he starts being pressed by one of the angels about how in the world he ended up there. Um, And the criminal's answer is simply, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And you know, if our answer to that question is, is anything else, we're missing it. We can experience salvation because of what Christ did on the cross, not because of anything else. Jumping back into the text in verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. I'll read that again. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. At humanity's darkest hour, God made a way for us. And this is the third display of God's goodness. Good Friday. So verse 44 says that there was darkness over the whole land from about noon to 3 p.m. Now, other places in Scripture, you might have seen this before, darkness is sometimes used to show divine judgment. So if you think back to the Exodus story, there was three days of darkness in Egypt, ultimately before the 10th plague. In this moment, we see Jesus receiving the divine judgment we deserve. See, Jesus didn't only suffer physically. He wasn't only beaten and mocked and dying a physical death. Much worse, actually. He had to endure the wrath of a holy God in order to pay the penalty for our sin. So just after this section in verse 45, it says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now what at first glance might seem like an insignificant and frankly weird detail to include actually has profound meaning. See, the curtain in the temple kept separate the Holy of Holies, which is where God was to dwell in all his holiness. Effectively, it kept man, who was sinful, away from a holy God who could not stand the presence of sin. Before Jesus' death, only the priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies, and only on a particular day of the year, the Day of Atonement, where he would make atonement for the people's sins through animal sacrifices. Any entrance into the Holy of Holies outside of these parameters resulted in death. In other words, you could say before Jesus' death, to tear this curtain would have resulted in death. 
However, on this true and final day of atonement, Christ, who knew no sin, became sin in that that time of darkness so that we might become the righteousness of God, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5. Daniel M. Gertner, who's written extensively on this topic, says, it's imperative to remember that the holiness of God remains unchanged from all eternity, even after the veil is torn. What has changed, then, is that the atoning death of Jesus on the cross has provided the appropriate wrath-bearing sacrifice, one which the bulls and goats of the old covenant could not provide. See, Jesus is the only person who could pay that appropriate sacrifice. It's not a priest or an animal or our own good works that make us righteous and give us access to a holy God. Rather, it's believing in the innocent Savior, Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins. Now let's look at two more verses, and then we'll be finished. Verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Here's the fourth and final way we see God's goodness on Good Friday. And that is that the innocent son of God willingly gave up his life as a ransom for many. So after being betrayed, beaten, mocked, and hung on a cross and left there in total darkness, frankly, I don't think I could utter a whisper. Jesus cries with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was obedient to the Father till the brutal end, willingly submitting his spirit on the cross. See, in this tearing of the temple curtain that we just talked about, we see Jesus as the true high priest, giving sinful people unprecedented access to a holy God. In committing his life to the Father, we see the Son of God completing the necessary sacrifice so that we can become sons and daughters of the perfect Heavenly Father. In the last verse, verse 47, we see a centurion or a Roman officer praise God and proclaim Jesus' innocence. Now, this Roman officer was likely accustomed to seeing crucifixions. Um, And perhaps for Jesus' journey to the cross and his crucifixion up to this point, this centurion thought nothing was different. It was just another criminal paying the appropriate price for his crime. At some point, for some reason, though, in verse 47, he realized this one was different. Maybe it was the darkness that might do it for me. Uh, Maybe it was something Jesus said It's really left to our speculation. But what we do see for sure is heart change. The one who at best sat idly by while Jesus was crucified now praises the Son of God. And with that, I'd say whatever your view of Jesus was prior to tonight, and I think it's fair to say with a room this size, there's probably some differing views on Jesus. Whatever your view is, you can turn your praise to him. See, Christ died for the sins of that centurion, and he died for the sins of every person in this room. So one of the things that I think is is unique about this passage and why I really like Luke's account is we see several responses to Jesus' death, and we've talked about several of those tonight. And I think talking about these responses begs the natural question, how will we respond, right? So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior... I think we can learn a lot from the response of the centurion we just talked about. Does reflecting on the gospel bring us to praise? 
Does it move us boldly to speak of God to others? You know, something that I think is interesting here that I don't want us to miss is even after Jesus' death, I don't think proclaiming Jesus as the innocent son of God would have been a popular thing for a Roman official to say. Yet he's so moved by what he witnessed that he can't help but proclaim the goodness of God. Secondly, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's look quickly back at at the two criminals. Frankly, I think it's relatively cut and dry. I think you can respond as the first criminal who doubted Jesus and rejected him as the true Lord and Savior. And I want to be clear, to choose anything else or anyone else as your functional Lord and Savior would be to reject Jesus as your true Lord and Savior. The other response is I think you can respond as the second criminal. You can repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus as the one true Savior. You know, on, on their respective crosses, Jesus looked over just over 2,000 years ago and, and told this criminal that today you will be with me in paradise. And I can assure you, 2,000 plus years later, because of the sacrifice that night on that cross, there is room for you in paradise as well. So now I'm, I'm going to pray, and while I'm doing so, I'll invite the band, and um, Vern, I think he's leaving communion to come up. Father God, we thank you for giving us your son. Lord, we thank you for just everything that, that the cross meant then and, and means now. And I thank you that because of the sacrifice of your innocent son, we can have eternal life and we can have access to you, God. You brought us near. Lord, I pray that we would reflect on this often, not not just today. But Lord, the, the words that we say and the things that we do every day would reflect lives that are, are transformed, God. And Lord, that we would live in, in the grace that, that you give us through the death of your son. And be with us the rest of the night as we worship God. May we, may we behold you. Lord, may our, our view of you and, and your goodness just drive us to, to praise and, and worship you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.